Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Keezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. I'll talk about the Philadelphia Flyers trade of former Union College hockey standout Shane Gossesbear to the Arizona Coyotes with Sam Carcitti, who covers the Flyers for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And I'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks winning the NBA title last week with Milwaukee radio personality and former 99.5 The River Morning Show co-host Shanna. Week 2 of the Saratoga horse racing season is in the books and week 3 is getting ready. Gazette's horse racing writer Mike McGannon joins me now. Mike, welcome back. Uh, how are things going? Pretty good so far. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, the crowds, and we talked about this last week about how I was like way off base in my prediction for opening day, but they, you know, it's been a pretty steady number attendance-wise. They had over 30,000 on Saturday, which was good. They had nice weather and everything and a good card. Um, so we're like 2020 seems like a very distant memory. In, in that regard so far and we saw some good stuff last weekend and we're going to see probably some more good stuff this weekend coming up. Now let's take a back, uh, look back at last weekend the coaching club America Oaks uh, uh, with uh, previously undefeated uh, Malathot pressured all the way around the track and nearly getting the win before being caught uh, two strides from the end by uh, long shot Maracuja. Yeah and um and when I when you say pressured all the way, it wasn't just one horse doing it. It was like multiple waves, and she was under constant pressure for the entire mile on an eighth. Um, you know, in my story, I likened it to a pro wrestler who's in the ring the whole time, going against a tag team that can tap in and tap out when they get tired. So in this case, uh, and they, Todd Pletcher, the trainer, and, and John Velasquez, they were worried all week. Um, about the fact that she had the one hole against a very short field of three rivals against her because she was going to have to make a move right out of the gate and expend some energy to not get boxed in because they figure undefeated she went off at two to five or what well one to five actually um and was the obvious and clear favorite um and so you knew the other three were like they had to beat her so they were all going to you know, she had a, three targets on her back and three people shooting arrows at her. So the first one, so she had expensive some energy to get clear and stay, not get boxed out, uh, boxed in on the first turn. Then uh, Maracuja kind of gave her some pressure coming off the turn. And then um, she backed off and took a breather and Clarier tagged in and um, really pressured Malathot all the way down the back stretch and halfway around the second turn. Um, so by the time she got into the stretch, even though she ran very gamely and like a champion, um, just the, the double whammy of that kind of took enough out of her that she barely got caught at the wire. It, and then we, we caught up with Todd Pletcher in the paddock right after the race because he had to saddle a horse for the next race. And he mentioned that I, I read Ortiz on Clarier, who wound up finishing third, uh, he called it an aggressive, premature move. And as soon as he said that, it reminded me of 2015 when American Farrell got beaten at Travers after having won the Triple Crown. And what happened that day was Joel Rosario was supposed to ride a very good horse named Frosted, and he got hurt in a spill a couple races before that. So Kieran McLaughlin, the trainer, had to scramble to find a replacement. He got Jose Lescano at the last second to, to ride Frosted, and Frosted basically did the same thing to American Pharaoh that Clarier did to Malathot. And, just, and you don't see this word used very often in the... Um, in the long comments that Equibase puts on their chart afterward, Heath Belvoir up there does a wonderful job, very descriptive in his post-race long comments, but he used the word hounded for <laughs> the, the experience that Malathot had all the way around the track. And, and, um, and then the other thing that was kind of reminiscent for me was um, when Zenyatta was undefeated through 19 career starts and lost her last race of her career to blame finishing second in the Breeders' Cup Classic running against males. Um, at the time, I I gained more respect for Zenyatta in the one race that she lost because she was so heroic in doing it than if she had won by three lengths. Um, and I had a similar feeling about Malathot because she did not get beat by much and she was taking a pounding, a hounding, <laughs> as, as they said, all the way around the track. So I kind of like, even though she lost... 
Um, there was no shame and defeat, and, and it was a winning race that she ran, and I, I kind of gained a little more respect for her that she didn't fold the tent, which she very easily could have. Yeah, you mentioned there were just four horses all told in this race. Does that change the strategy for the jockey, for the trainer, as opposed to maybe eight or ten horses? It's a big change. It really is. Um, for one thing, if it's a bigger field, then there's probably a couple of them in there that are early pace horses and you can let them do the dirty work on the front and kind of establish the early pace, get position, um, find a good spot, maybe get in the clear on the back stretch and let them butt heads and, and then kind of close into that pace. Here, and the, you know, I think they were actually more mad about the, you know, and it's all luck, of course, but um, drawing the one than the short field. They knew it was going to be a short field because nobody wants to run against Malathar. Yeah. Um, but getting that one hole, you, you just, you're kind of at the mercy of what, you know, becomes kind of a rider race into for that first turn right out. And there isn't really a very long run into that first turn. So John Velasquez really had to, he couldn't mess around. Yeah. And, and in the meantime, in doing so, they ran just over 23 seconds for the first quarter mile, which is too fast in a mile and eighth race, and it was like 40, low 47 for the half mile. So they were really cooking pretty good, and they paid for it at the end, barely. I mean, and again, that's how heroic she was, finishing second uh, by a head to Maracuja. Um, so really she ran a winning race, and she, but she was at the mercy of kind of the, the you know, just the race configuration and, and, you know, knowing that those other three horses were going to throw down on her and, and it kind of was like a sequential thing where one took a turn, then another one took a turn and, and got a breather, you know, yeah. <laughs> and so she never got a breather, which yeah. they were looking for just to get like a quarter mile on the back stretch to, to catch your breath and then regather and go, but she never had a chance to do that. Yeah. Well, another race that took place over the weekend was a Shuvie, and a urologist ran a nice race in that uh, in that stakes race. But like Saturday's uh, coaching club, American Oaks, uh, it was caught and passed two strides from the wire by the Chad Brown trained Royal Flag, and suddenly Chad Brown, who was struggling to get a victory, now leads the trainers' uh, race. <laughs> Funny how that happens when you have two days in a row where you get three winners and all of a sudden you're leading. But it's close. There's like five guys with five, and Chad has six. So it's obviously it's still very early, but it's just kind of interesting that this race was the one that got him in the lead um, after he'd been very, very quiet for the first, uh, you know, first week and a half of the meet. Um, the finish of this race kind of looked similar because it was one horse leading all the way and then another one catching her at you know a couple strides before the wire but the race shape was a lot different because royal you know i mean first of all you had seven horses instead of you had six horses instead of four um but in this case um maracuja was not that far off of malathot even though she backed off a little bit to get a breather and this one royal flag was in last place of six like halfway around the second turn <laughs> and just made a phenomenal move um down the middle of the track and uh you know just got there and got and Haral just ran a, a winning race just like Malathot did but it was just kind of cool um credit to Royal Flag she shows up every time she's never finished off the board in in 10 career starts now or 11 whatever it is no it's 10 and uh, uh she hasn't raced a lot in uh you know she's five now so she's pretty old and this is going to be her last season before she retires to become a broodmare um but she you know, chad brown just really gave her a lot of credit for showing up every time and bringing her a game and whether she wins or not you know doesn't necessarily happen all the time and she's got five now or six out of 10 starts and but she shows up every time and it was really kind of a gutsy courageous effort he, he was disappointed in dunbar road who won the alabama a couple years ago and who's been kind of clunking along trying to get she had like a throat infection that she's been trying to overcome this was her first start back and he he was disappointed that she she was in perfect position to get the win at the top of the stretch and she kind of faded to fifth in the six horse field so i'm not sure what he's going to do with her next but royal flag um, we'll see her and I believe horologist as well coming back in the personal ensign uh, later in the meet on Traverse Day. Well, as I said, week three is underway now, and uh, let's look ahead to the fields for uh, the uh, Traverse preview, basically. The Friday's Curlin and Saturday's Jim Dandy. Um, Saratoga fans are going to look at three-year-old male division leader, Essential Quality, in the Jim Dandy. Yeah, and um, 
For those of us who are old enough to know what the B-side of a 45 uh, record <laughs> is, I know you do, um, uh, the Curlin' certainly is the B-side to the, yeah. the hit uh, single on the other on the A side, which is the Jim Dandy. So unless you're the Beatles, and you have hits on the Beatles. Well, yeah, they're they're the exception <laughs> to the rule. Um, but uh, we'll start with the curling real quick. Uh, there's there's actually I haven't seen the Morning Line yet, which will probably come out, which will uh, come out sometime today, um, I believe. But um, there's I mean, two. You mean, you mean Thursday, just in case we? Put, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll, it's not out yet. Yeah. Put it that way. <laughs> at the time of this recording. <laughs> um, but there's two very lightly raced horses in here. One of which I believe is going to be the favorite, and that's First Captain. Uh, primarily owned by West Point Thoroughbred, so racing fans will recognize their distinctive army um, silks, which are gold with the big black star and the black um, sleeves. Uh, that we see frequently with good horses, and the, and they paid one and a half million dollars for this horse as a yearling um, two years ago, and haven't been getting a lot of bang for their buck and bucks until this year because the horse just hasn't been able to get to the track. He had some medical issues last year where he didn't race as a two-year-old. Shug McGay, he told me that it wasn't anything that required an operation, but it was enough to keep him out of the races, and then he didn't start this year until. Uh, April 24th, but he's done nothing wrong and has won all three of his starts. Most recently, the Grade 3 Dwyer, so he's undefeated in three three races this season. He, he looks like the clear favorite on paper. Um, the other interesting horse in here, and, and, and it's, it's a Chad Brown horse, and it's the other lightly raced horse, is named Miles D. Um, and I, I, we asked him before the meet started if he had any Travers horses, and he said, nah, not really. Um, there is this horse, Miles D. He's only raced twice, and he, he was a pretty good maiden winner last time, uh, June 12th, who he thought was his derby horse last year. He was gonna, last year he thought he was going to be his derby horse for this year, um, but he had a bunch of a variety of uh, medical issues and stuff too. So he, he, he had some injury that he had to overcome, and he didn't race as a two-year-old. Uh, I take that back. He, didn't, he did race as a two-year-old, but not until October. Um, and he got beat, and then he's raced once this year in June and, and won that race. So um, both of these horses are getting late starts and haven't raced, don't have a lot of race experience, so it makes sense for them to be in the curling, which is a, you know, ought to be theoretically a much lighter spot than the Jim Dandy. Um, so I'll be keeping an eye on them, especially first captain. They paid a boatload of money for this horse. and. And he looks like the real deal now. He just he, but he's playing catch up against the three-year-old division. So keep an eye on him. And then the um, the A side, uh, the hit single is Jim Dandy. Um, we get to see Essential Quality um, race. We uh, Erica Miller and I went up there to watch him work out the first Saturday in the meet, um, and he did very well. And he's done nothing wrong since winning the Belmont Stakes, leader of the division. Um, they're obviously targeting. The Travers later in the meet. Um, other horse, horses that are supposed to show up in there include, let's see, um, Dr. Jack from Pletcher. You got Essential Quality. Uh, Keep Me in Mind, who uh, was fourth in the Preakness. A horse named Mosk Parade that's kind of interesting to me. I'll be taking a look at him. He's won two straight, most recently the Ohio Derby. Uh, who else we got? Risk taking from Chad Brown, another one from Chad, who um, has really kind of stunk it out the last two starts. And I don't know, he's still trying to figure out what the deal is with this horse. He finished seventh in the Wood Memorial and eighth in the Preakness. And, and I asked him about this horse the other day. It was kind of interesting that when we asked him before the meet if he had any Travers horses, and he didn't mention risk taking, but then all of a sudden he's showing up in the Jim Dandy. So I'm not sure. Uh, the horse has been working well, so we'll see if he can kind of rebound from his last couple uh, duds. And, and then um, I think the Reds is going to be in there. He, he finished way back in the Ohio Derby. And then Weyburn um, is kind of interesting, too. Uh, he won the Grade 3 Gotham in, in March and fourth in the wood and then just missed by a neck to uh, Mandaloon, who just won the Haskell by DQ in what is basically the Jim Dandy of the Monmouth meet, which is the Pegasus back in uh, on June 13th. So Weyburn is kind of a little interesting too. So should be a pretty good Jim Dandy. Um, um, again, a clear favorite essential quality. It'd be interesting to see what the, the 
odds are on him, but it's going to be odds on. You know, it'll be probably four to five or three to five, something like that on the morning line. Well, let's uh, break off the track talk for a moment and talk about maybe another track. Wait, we're cycling. allowed to do that? <laughs> yeah, we're allowed to do okay. that. Uh, Emma White. Uh, There's Dwayne's, no rules here. No, no, not, not at all. Uh, Dwaynesburg High School and Union uh, College product Emma White uh, just left for Tokyo on Sunday. is going to compete in the women's track cycling team pursuit Monday or on Monday and Tuesday at the Olympics. Uh, you've talked to her many times. And, yeah. Uh, obviously, <laughs> the Olympics being canceled last year because of the pandemic. Uh, I mean, how excited is she to get ready to finally uh, live out her dream? Oh, she's really pumped up, as you would imagine, and uh, because it's really been a long, long wait. Now she's relatively young; she's 23, so her, you know, top level cycling. She's been pro as a cyclocross rider for a few years now, um, but this is the pinnacle of a, uh, an athlete's career in her sport. So, um, needless to say, she's very pumped up. Um, <coughs> excuse me. She and her whole team are really bunkered down and, and taking extra measures so that they don't have any issues with COVID. They're all vaccinated. Um, they're tested right off the plane in Tokyo in a special area that's separate from everybody else. Gone through all that. They get tested every day because, um, you know, she she's had told me last Thursday that she'd heard stories about people in the Olympic Village testing positive. And to come so close to, like, the pinnacle of your your you know, sports career and then have it stripped taken away because of that is, is unimaginable. Yeah. So they're doing all that. But in the meantime, um, that extra time may have helped this team um, because they, it, it sounds like they're actually a little faster now than they were last year when they won the world championships in Berlin, um, which Emma was on that team. That was back in like March, right before everything got locked down. Um, and then since then they've, haven't competed really at all. It's just been training in Colorado Springs. So they're they're pretty locked and loaded right now. They just gotta, you know, keep keep it safe and healthy yeah. between now and Monday and then it'll be fun to see what they do. Um their uh their parents are gonna be down in or her parents are gonna be down in, in uh or well actually their parents because yeah. the rest of the team's <laughs> parents are going too. They they have some sort of viewing party down in Orlando and I talked to her mom today and she said ah you know, I said, are they so are they going to open up this thing at two thirty in the morning when she's riding, you know, live? And she's like, I don't know. It sounds like they're going to close it at midnight or something. I was like, well, you got to figure out a way to sneak in there, because otherwise they're going to have to pay for a live stream and watch it on their laptop. But they have like a big, you know, huge video screen in there that they should be able to watch it on. Hopefully, if they let them in at two thirty. Um, so everybody's pumped up, and, and now they just got to get from point A to point B, you know, and, and keep everybody healthy well let's hope she can bring home a gold medal to the capital region that would be pretty cool like we would get to see it that's yeah. for sure yeah so mike appreciate it again we'll do this again next week terrific i'll be here thanks for having me all Jim. right thanks so mike mcadam uh coming up sam carcini of the philadelphia inquirer joins me to discuss the trade of former union college hockey standout shane gosses bear by the philadelphia flyers you're listening to the parting shots podcast Hey, Saratoga horse racing fans, have a chance to win a $50 gift card by playing the Daily Gazette's Saratoga Pick 7. Here's what you do. Pick your horses to score the most points in the first seven races at Saratoga Racetrack and win the $50 gift card. To play, go to pick7.dailygazette.com and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race. The Saratoga Pick 7 contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not affiliated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, I'm Tom Anas, head coach of the Albany Empire. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. After seven years in the Philadelphia Flyers organization, defenseman and former Union College hockey standout Shane Gossesbear was traded to the Arizona Coyotes last Thursday. To talk about the end of the Shane Gossesbear era in Philadelphia, I welcome back the Flyers beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, Sam Carcini. Sam, welcome back to the podcast. I uh, hope your summer's going well. You're staying cool down in Philly. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Ken. It's been uh, it's been a crazy summer with Chuck Fletcher. I mean, uh, almost every day he's made a move, and not just 
you know, a, a run-of-the-mill move, but, uh, you know, a major move. And, and uh, you know, I think he's made this team considerably better, especially on defense, uh, offense. You know, they're, they still need help, and they still need a backup goaltender. But overall, I think they've made some, uh, some real good strides this summer. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the trade last Thursday. I mean, maybe we shouldn't be surprised because the way the season ended for, for Shane – he was put on waivers at one point uh, late in the season. Nobody claimed him. He was put on the unprotected list for the expansion draft of the Seattle Kraken. Seattle didn't take him. Uh, so when the trade came up, were you surprised? Well, I, I wasn't surprised at, at the deal that he was dealt. I was stunned that the Flyers had to throw in you know, a second-round pick. They also gave a seventh-round pick, which is kind of inconsequential. But the fact you had to give a second-round pick to entice Arizona really floored me. Uh, I realized cap space is at a premium. But, uh, you know, there are going to be injuries around the league, and and teams are going to – you would think a team would need a Gosses Bear. I just just thought he pulled the trigger a little too early. you know, but that said, he needed to free cap space, and that was the best offer he said he had. And, and uh, I'm really surprised because I thought Gossespierre had a, a a good year. He had nine goals in 40 or 41 games, and and started to look like his old self. So, um, you know, I, I think he's still a valuable player for a team. I think you know Arizona's got to be thrilled, and and the 4.5 cap hit uh, was an albatross to the Flyers, uh, but. You know, to Arizona, it's not, and and actually, I believe the, in real money, it's three point two five for a year. Uh, but the cap hit is is higher. But uh, you know, I, I wish Ghost all the best. I think that uh, uh, he had an up and down career here. Never really lived up to his expectations after a, a sensational rookie year when he finished second uh, in the Calder voting. So. Uh, um, yeah, so I had mixed emotions. Uh, yes, I expected to be traded. No, I did not expect the Flyers to uh, have to give up a second-round pick. In fact, I was texting a, a colleague earlier in the day before the trade was made, and they asked me what I thought was up with Ghost, and I said they have to free cap space. There's no question uh, in order to make a move or two, and uh, I think they're going to get a fourth-round pick somewhere around there. And, and the response to that was, but that's all, you know, you're, you know, they're only going to get a fourth rounder, you know, uh, has, has he fallen that much? And I said, well, you know, it's, it's a capier and, and it's uh, a flat capier. And, uh, you know, that's my guess. Yeah. And, uh, and lo and behold, they actually, as everybody knows now, had to give up a, a second rounder. So hopefully it doesn't come back to, to haunt them. But uh, I will say this, that Chuck Fletcher did a good job of using uh, the cap space that he gained from the ghost trade. Yeah, we used to mention it. I mean, the up and down career. Obviously, you know, he, he fans got a you know sneak peek of <clears throat> of Shane back in 2014 at the NCAA uh, Frozen Four when down went down played at the Wells Fargo Center, and he was the outstanding uh, player of that tournament, especially in that championship game where he was a plus seven. And I think you know Flyers fans and you know, Flyers fans started following me uh, when I was covering Union. Uh, just get, try to get updates on Shane and what it was going to be like, and I kept having, you know, you know, saying positive things about him. And he had, as you mentioned, a great rookie year, 2015-16, uh, forty six points on that year. Uh, but then it was the inconsistency. The following year, only at thirty nine, then he bounced back with his best year ever, sixty five points, and then, uh, you know, the inconsistency showed up. What, what, what was it about Ghost's game that maybe frustrated the Flyers fans? Yeah, you know what? I, I think it wasn't really his doing. He had so many different injuries, some nagging, some uh, tougher than others. He had a couple knee surgeries uh, before last year and, and uh, you know, had uh, a knee surgery earlier. He, and, and like I said, a lot of nagging injuries, and he didn't show the speed uh, and that explosiveness that he really displayed and, and kind of, took the NHL by storm in his rookie year. So uh, I think fans were probably frustrated that he didn't look like the old ghost. But I thought last year he started to show flashes of that. And uh, uh, I, I guess another frustrating thing, Ken, will probably be his uh, production on the power play. He just seemed unsure of himself. And, I, and again, I think a lot of that 
had to do with uh, injuries. And uh, that's why I think Arizona got, got, you know, the best of everything. They got a healthy Gosses Bear. Uh, they got him at a low price. As I mentioned, they're only going to pay $3.25 million. Uh, for a guy who quarterbacks the power play and, and uh, you know, is going to be a regular on the defense, uh, I, I think they got a good deal. And, uh, and, and of course, they got a second-round pick. So, yeah, uh, yeah and, and well, let's not sugarcoat it. He did have some defensive shortcomings, and they were on display, and that certainly frustrated fans. But, uh, you know, last year I thought he improved on that aspect. And, uh, you know, I thought he was headed uh, towards a productive year this year. And we'll see how it pans out. But uh, uh, it's a shame it didn't work out here. I don't know. He was uh, very upset with the trade because he wanted to stay here. Uh, he just got engaged. He set up his roots here. His fiance works at a hospital in, in Philadelphia or the Philadelphia area. So, uh, you know, it, it had to be crushing for him. Uh, on one side, the flip side is that, uh, and I think Chuck Fletcher, the GDM, alluded to this. The flip side is that the handwriting was on the wall, and it's been on the wall for uh, a couple of years. He's been a walking trade rumor, and uh, he obviously saw this coming. I kind of thought that Seattle would take him in the expansion draft. Uh, I was really surprised they took Carson Trowinski, a hard-nosed player with some potential. But uh, if I'm Seattle, I would I would have definitely taken uh, Goss's bear, and uh, I was surprised they did not. I mean, I, you know, as I mentioned in the uh, earlier, that in fact he was put on waivers uh, late uh, this past season. Nobody claimed him, and then, I mean, in the expansion draft, being unprotected, was he frustrated by that? You think? Yeah, there, there's no question. He was, uh, you know, to be put on waivers, he was embarrassed, and. Uh, you know, my view was that nobody took him, uh, <laughs> not because he was a bad player, uh, but the cap hit, it, it's really tough to absorb a 4.5 million cap hit during the season. And, uh, you know, you have your roster set, you know, unless somebody is injured and you have, uh, you can put them on long-term uh, LTIR, then you have some cap space. But, it's, it's really tough to fit somebody under the cap during the season. In the off season, you know, you can go over the cap by 10%. And the fact that teams lose players or they're anticipating losing players to free agency, uh, and, of course, there are trades, you know, you have a little more cap room. So I didn't take, you know, I, I don't think uh, it was an insult or a slap at Ghost that he wasn't taking when, taking when he was put uh, on waivers last year. Uh, I just think it was a result of the cap. But I, I was very surprised. I thought this year teams have cap space, and I thought somebody would take uh, a shot at him in a trade, and uh, it didn't happen. Uh, it, it happened in a trade, if you want to call it a quote-unquote trade. But the Flyers got nothing back except the cap space. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I was surprised. I thought somebody would uh, – I thought there would be not – not, yet, not that you'd have 20 teams lined up, but I thought you'd have, you know, a couple that would be interested and willing to give up a, a draft pick. And, and uh, But it didn't work out that way in uh, uh, Spears' uh, career. And he, and, he, and he is among flyer leaders offensively among defensemen in, in uh, Flyers' history. So, you know, his legacy will be uh, a strong one here. It's just a shame for him that... Uh, it ended up this way, and uh, uh, he didn't get to uh, play longer here in Philly. But at, at least for, for his sake, he had a strong year last year, even though he only played uh, about 40 games. I think it was 40 or 41 games. And uh, as I said, I think he's on track to, to have a good year this season. Yeah. I mean, what was his relationship with head coach Elaine Vigneault? Well, you know, Vigneault uh, did scratch him sometimes, so... You know, that obviously didn't make him happy about that. But, uh, uh, you know, he's a competitor. He wants to play. And uh, I think he can say that for almost everybody. But, uh, you know, I don't think he really had animosity towards uh, A.V. A.V. did that to some of his best players. You know, uh, Jake Voracek was a healthy scratch at one point. I mean, you know, he's done it to uh, uh, 
uh, a half dozen or more players who, you know, and it kind of raised eyebrows. So, uh, you know, I don't think they had a contentious relationship at all, if that's what you're asking. But, uh, uh, you know, Ghost is a competitor. He wanted to play. And as I said, he loved the Philly area. I can't tell you how many times he told me that, that he, he wanted to uh, stay here in Philly. He loved everything about Philly. And, uh, you know, as you know, he grew up in Florida. And uh, I always thought that would be a natural for him to go to Florida. And I mm-hmm. guess it still could happen at some point in his career. But, uh, you know, for whatever reason, the Panthers did not show interest. I mean, he he grew up and, and played games uh, at, at Florida's rank. His grandfather took him to games when he was a, a young kid. Uh, his grandfather was a season ticket holder for the Florida Panthers in Florida in South Florida, and uh, it just seemed like a natural spot. They always have a hard time drawing fans. That's another reason why I thought he might be attractive to the Panthers, but uh, that didn't happen. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere down the road he ends up a Florida Panther, just like I wouldn't be surprised if down the road uh, Johnny Goudreau uh, ends up his career here in Philadelphia. Yeah, I saw a picture (laughs) that uh, Shane's mom posted on Facebook recently of him uh, as a youth in a Coyotes jersey, and it says uh, it was. It was uh, I think she put it says it, it was meant to be. So maybe they had a tu- intuition that something was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I didn't see that. that yeah. That's a good one. So, uh, what what do you think his legacy will be uh, as we get further down the road with uh, with uh, Shane? Will the Flyer fans come to appreciate what he brought to the team? Uh, no question. I think his legacy will be that he is one of the top uh, offensive defensemen in Flyers history. There's no question about it. I mean, uh, he had a tremendous shot, uh, tremendous wherewithal on the power play, just had great chemistry with his teammates on the power play, uh, especially in the early years. Um, and uh, unfortunately, his I, I think the most lasting memory of him will be his rookie year. I mean, um, it was just incredible what he did. And, and then, as you mentioned in your opening, a couple of years later, had 60-some points. And, and uh, you know, he was he seemed destined to be one of the best offensive defensemen in Flyers history, if not the best. And, uh, you know, I, I, remember, I remember talking to Jay Snyder, uh, who, who, of course, was uh, – the Flyers president at one time. He's the son of Ed Snyder, the Flyers chairman. And basically in the last days of uh, Ed Snyder's life, uh, you know, and he knew his end was coming, he turned to Jay. And I had lunch with Jay one day, and he he told me he turned to Jay and said, I can't believe I'm not going to watch the rest of this, of Ghost's career. Because Ghost... Ghost had meant so much to the Flyers. He gave them so much energy. And uh, but that's one of the last things that uh, uh, Ed Snyder said to his son, that I can't believe I'm not going to be around to watch Ghost develop. And uh, and that says something. That, that, that tells you, uh, you know, what kind of impact uh, and what kind of legacy that Ghost left here. And uh, unfortunately, because of injuries, uh, you know, we really didn't see the, the same ghost again. Uh, but, uh, well, like I said, I think he, he got on track last year. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, you're going to see good things from him with the uh, Arizona Coyotes. Speaking of the Coyotes, they visit uh, the Flyers on November 2nd. Uh, what do you think that game's going to be like? Yeah, I think it'll be an emotional game for Goss's Bear, and I, I think the fans, you know, will uh, reward him and give him a standing ovation. I'm sure they're going to uh, play a tribute to him on the scoreboard, and uh, you know, it's uh, and I, I think they'll do the same for Jake Orchak when he comes back. He's he's got a, a great legacy too, and and uh, probably an underappreciated player with Orchak uh, because he had. Uh, 10 mostly solid, better than solid years with the Flyers. Uh, you know, he was the top right winger in the NHL a few years ago and, and uh, you know, led the league in scoring one year for uh, the better part of the year and, and then tailed off a little bit toward the end. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think Ghost and Voracek will get great, uh, <laughs> great ovations and 
uh, will be giving uh, their just due on the scoreboard with uh, with videos and uh, uh, yeah they they played a big part as you mentioned ghosts here seven years for check here ten years and uh, you know they they didn't win many playoff games unfortunately during that time but uh, you know not because of the effort of those two guys. Well, Sam, I appreciate a few minutes talking uh, Shane Gossifer, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll talk some hockey later on uh, this year. My pleasure, Ken. Have a great summer. You too. That's Sam Carcini coming up. I'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks NBA Championship with Milwaukee radio personality, former 99.5 The River morning co-host, Shanna, here on the Parting Shots Podcast. Sign up for the Daily Gazette Sports Newsletter. The newsletter, which comes out Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi, I'm Kaylin Brown, Managing Editor of the Daily Gazette. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The city of Milwaukee is still basking in the glory of the Bucks winning the NBA title last week. Here to discuss that is the program director for FM 106.1 in Milwaukee. She is the former morning show co-host at 99.5 The River here in the Capital Region and can still be heard on that station. It's Shanna. Shanna, welcome to the podcast. How are you, my friend? It's been a while. I'm I'm great. Yeah, it's been so long. I'm glad, you know, at least we have social media to still stay connected on. Uh, all good here, but like you said, I think the city of Milwaukee is still celebrating. It's been wild here. Yeah, because I remember days when I was doing the college hockey uh, show with uh, Roger Wild at nine, uh, on 90, uh, Fox Sports 980. You were there, and I was always see you. We always talk and say hi. It was always good to see you, and I'm glad you're doing well in Milwaukee. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really fun city. There's always something going on. I love it here. Everyone's super nice. Beer is great. Food is great. Sports are great. So what else could you ask for? Yes. Except for Aaron Rodgers maybe getting his life together. That's really all we can ask for here right now. <laughs> well, I think with the Bucks winning, I'll take a little bit of the luster off Aaron Rodgers' situation. But uh, uh, You would think so, but uh, uh, no, yeah, people true. are still up in arms about it. <laughs> well, let me, let me t- let's tell people how this all came about here, you coming on the show. The Suns went up 2 nothing in, in this series, and uh, you posted something about the Bucks. Oh, they'll come back, and I said, yeah, right. And then, sure enough, they start winning games, and I said, well, if they win this series, I'll have you on. And this is why I'm not, this is why I'm not a gambler, because I always do the wrong thing with gambling. <laughs> so, not to say anything. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, it's great to have you on. What, what's been, what has the city been like? I mean, is it still, I mean, I said it's still basking in glory, but is it still, I mean, have they come down yet? Um, a little bit, yeah, but of course, you know, the parade was crazy on Thursday, I was at that, um, which that was awesome, I mean, seeing the city, you know, I'm looking around, there's thousands and thousands of people out for this parade, and I'm like, oh, we just all blew off work today, huh? <laughs> um, but, you know, totally worth it, it's been 50 years since the Bucks won, so people, yeah, people are still super excited. It was exciting, you know, watching uh, the U.S. basketball team, which, of course, you know, they lost to France, so that wasn't great, but, you know, to see Drew Holiday playing on there and to see Chris Middleton, you know, on the team, that was actually really cool too. At least, you know, for me as a new Bucks fan to watch that, that was pretty awesome. So people have been talking about that, and Giannis is going around town. He's trying to get free Chick Fil A for life, and uh, they actually didn't get back to him. But a local burger place, they put up a sign and said, "Oh, we'll give you free food for life. Come on, come on over." So he's been out. PJ Tucker has been out. I know he was at a bar actually right around the corner from my house the other day, just hanging out by himself at the bar and having a great time with people in Milwaukee. So it's a really, really fun team. And I think it's also because of the fun city they're in. Like they get to have fun and relax and have a good time here. So that's been a really fun thing to witness too. Yeah. It's the first championship for a Milwaukee team. Now we know the Packers play in Green Bay, but that's they used to play some of their games in Milwaukee, which they don't do anymore. So, but you know, it has been 50 years, as you said, since the Bucks won the title. I mean, the Brewers have been to a one world series in that, in that span, and uh, it, it, the fact that you know, what we saw outside uh, the uh, the arena there with the fans, the, the, the fear of the deer district, I mean, how much have they these fans embraced this team? 
Oh, man. I mean, it's been amazing to see, you know, like you talked about the Deer District. I actually went there for one game. I can, where I live downtown Milwaukee, I can literally see the Pfizer Forum from my window. I'm about two blocks away. So that's been crazy to see, too. Even when I'm not going to the games, I feel like I'm at the games because there's fireworks going off outside. Um, but it's been really cool to see everyone kind of come together. And you're seeing all different ages and races of people getting together. And they're at the Deer District and they're having a good time. So it's been really awesome to see the city embrace this team. And, you know, from a perspective of everything that's gone on with COVID, it's been really fun to see people going out to the bars again and having a good time. And, of course, you know, we're all safe now. We're getting vaccinated. We're doing all that. So it's really great to see around the Deer District that they were starting to build up. And then COVID hit, kind of put pause on it for people to really embrace that area and get out there is just awesome to see, too, for just not only the Bucks but for the city of Milwaukee. Yeah, Giannis, um, to me, is just an amazing player. I mean, the fact that he signed a long-term deal with the Bucks shows I me. Mean, to me, that shows a commitment by him and a commitment by the team to him. I mean, how important is that? Because we, we think of Milwaukee as not a, uh, not a major market. We, we uh, especially in the age of this NBA, you know, they want super teams like we saw with the Heat years ago with uh, LeBron and uh, down going down there and win a title, and then you know, doing it with the Lakers. But to see Giannis stay put in Milwaukee for a long time, what does that mean for him? What does that mean for the team? What does that mean for the city? You know, it's funny. Um, I, I didn't even think about this. It's actually one of the smallest um, franchises or smallest markets is Milwaukee. And, and to me, I love this city. I think it's it's a great city. And, you know, you're right. You think about these other places. You know, you have L.A., you have Miami, you have all that. Um, seeing Giannis just loving Milwaukee the way that he does, it really does, like, get you in the feels, you know? Like, you can tell he genuinely loves being here. His family loves being here. Heck, his brother plays for the team, you know? It's really great to kind of see them come into Milwaukee. And it's been great to see Giannis embracing his life here, going from really having nothing. And I know he was living in this very small apartment with like eight family members or something like that. And to see him grow and become the superstar, but still stay so humble and loving Milwaukee, you know, it's, it's great. And so many, you can't say a bad word about Giannis, right? Like you have Aaron Rodgers where it's like, he's this amazing player, but he's got this humongous ego. Um, with Giannis, it's like, oh man, we have this guy who absolutely embraces the city. This guy who actually cares about the city and wants to be here. And, you know, not pitch a fit and post things on social media and be cryptic. It's awesome to see someone like Giannis and you want to root for him and you want him to do well. And you see how much this team genuinely loves each other. It's just a really great team to cheer for and a really great team to watch, you know, become the superstars that they are. Well, I'm happy for the Bucks and happy for Giannis. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia and my 76ers, this was their golden opportunity to win this thing. And they choked it away in against the Hawks. And it, I mean, it's it, it's it's going to be one of those things. I mean, you, you talk about Giannis. Uh, Joel, Joel Embiid has been loved in Philadelphia. Ben Simmons, not so much right now. But, uh, uh, I mean, it seems like this could have been my time for the Sixers, but the Bucks and they took advantage of the situation. I mean, they, they, I mean, I think the fact that they came back to beat the Hawks, beat, uh, no, I'm sorry, beat uh, the Nets in the first round in Game 7 on Brooklyn's floor, that, that showed me a lot uh, for, uh, to be able to do that and, just you know, be able to you know win that series. Actually, second round, I should say they did that, but uh, that was just an incredible, incredible moment. Uh, and then you know, take care of the Hawks. And then, well, the way they came back against the Suns, I mean, like I said, down two nothing, uh, they looked they looked like they were in trouble, but you know, they, yeah. they didn't they didn't panic. The thing is with the Bucks, they're either phenomenal or you're like, what the hell are they doing out there? You know, they're they're like that kind of team. I mean, but when they're on they're having Giannis score 50 points. You know, it's it's been crazy to kind of see that. But, I mean, you're right with the Nets. I was a little nervous because I'm like, man, like, I, I, you know, Kevin Durant is someone not to mess with. He's amazing. He's, like, one of the best players on the planet. And when they beat the Nets, that was kind of like a, okay, all right, we, we might have something here. So, yeah, it's it's just been a wild season. I feel like the Bucks were kind of the underdog and came out on top. In fact, that Giannis, I think, missed the last couple of games against the Hawks, and they still were able to win that series. It just, that just goes to show the, the depth that the Bucks had that they could, they could win without Giannis. Oh, God, that injury was just disgusting to see. My yeah. boyfriend and I were watching the game, and I, I was like, oh, my God, because like, like, he didn't see it right away. And then when they replayed it, it was just 
to show you what a freak, for a lack of a better word, Giannis is, the fact that he came back so flawlessly from that injury is mind-blowing. The rest of us would be out for months, and Giannis is like, hold my beer, I'm going to win a championship real quick. <laughs> now, I know you're a big Buffalo Bills fan, and the Bills had a great season uh, last year, winning the AFC East, the throwing the uh, New England Patriots. Uh, got to the AFC Championship game. What do you think their chances are of maybe getting past that hurdle and getting to the Super Bowl and maybe finally winning one? Oh, you know, it's funny. Here, it's actually a very, very heated topic because a lot of people here are like, man, what if it was a Packers-Bills Super Bowl? What would you do? I'm like, well, first of all, I would share for the Bills. Like, <laughs> of course. No offense. I love the Packers, too. They've always, since even before moving to Wisconsin, they were always, like, my second team to cheer for. They are always my NFC team. So I would love to see that. And I don't think that it's that far off if Aaron decides to, like, well, you know, rumor has it he's going to play, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, the Bills are amazing. And I think if they can get through Mahomes, that's that's the issue right there. It's Mahomes. Like, mm-hmm. that's the scary part for me. As a Bills fan, having any team in the AFC and going against him. And, you know, we still have stupid Tom Brady in the league. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's. Uh, I think, I think the, the Bills have a good chance. I, I don't want to say anything more. I don't want to jinx them because I'm always that person that jinxes them. But I will say I definitely cried in a bar with no shame when they made it to the AFC Championship. I didn't even care. I'm like, I don't care who watches. This is the first time that they you know, one in a playoff game is amazing. So um, I think that they are going to go very far, especially with someone, you know, we're talking about how Giannis embraces Milwaukee. I think Josh Allen is the same way for Buffalo. He embraces it. He loves that city and that city loves him. So I think if they get through the drama that Cole Beasley is oh, also kind of started on social yeah. media, I think that they'll be great. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that, that, that bothers me because I just had a commentary last week's uh, podcast about, these pro athletes and, and, you know, being so against the vaccine. And what are they waiting for? I mean, are they waiting for a teammate to die before they take it seriously? I don't know. I agree with you. And like, don't get me wrong. Cole Beasley is great, but he's kind of like swinging it around that like, I don't know. It's just like kind of this cockiness that is going with it. Like, dude, if you're not going to get vaccinated, that's your decision but like why do you have to post all this weird stuff on social media i think that that's also what ruins it a lot of times too is the fact with social media these days like it's just oh they just go on there not just him just any of these famous people and spew this stuff and you're like what are you doing what is happening here how did we get from point a to point b so uh but yeah again i think if they can get it together i think the bills can go a long way again well shannon i appreciate a few minutes uh talk with you sports with you and uh, it's good to get catch up with you and uh uh, have fun in Milwaukee, and good luck to your Packers, except when they if they play. I think the, I don't want to play the Eagles this year, but if they do play the Eagles, I don't want to go. <laughs> course, I way, get it. I get it. Of course, the way my Eagles are going to be this year, I'm, I'll, be, I'll be lucky if they win four games. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's been wild to kind of keep track of, too, all the trades and who's going where. Like, it's just been wild with football, so good starting up, though. Uh, again, appreciate it, Thanks a lot. Hey, thank you. I'll be back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. The NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by 2nd Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to DailyGazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hello, this is Keith Griffin, our head baseball coach of the Amsterdam Mohawks of the Perfect Game Police Baseball League. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The NASCAR season is off until August 8th. When it resumes, you can sign up and play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest 
and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the link for contests and promotions. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Mike McAdam, Sam Carcitti, and Shanna for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.